On uh, July 4th, 1776, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 56 representatives from 13 different colonies approved a declaration of independence and they put pen to paper and they signed their name to that declaration. The second paragraph of that declaration begins with a sentence written by Thomas Jefferson that I think, outside of scripture itself, is one of the most lofty, inspired sentences to ever be written. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, what Jefferson wrote was not scripture. This is not scripture. But the ideas contained in that declaration were based on scripture. And for us to truly understand what he was communicating and the bedrock that our nation was, was founded upon, we've got to look at this through the lens of scripture. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to take this, this opening sentence to the declaration and, and parse it through the lens of scripture because as you look at it there's a lot of uh, clearly biblical ideas in that sentence truth creation uh, equality life liberty the pursuit of happiness these are biblical ideas so join me as we we pray Father God, we thank you for the, the wisdom and the discernment that you gave our founding fathers. And Lord, we thank you for uh, these ideals that are uh, anchored in the truth of your word. And I pray for um, my words, I pray for the meditations of our hearts, that they would be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first word that we come to is the word truth. We hold these truths. Uh, and when I think about truth, I think about a conversation that Jesus had with Pontius Pilate. Jesus, as you know, was arrested and he appeared before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. He's accused of high crimes, worthy of, of crucifixion, the Jews were, were claiming. And so Pontius was interrogating him and they're having this conversation and Jesus responded to Pontius Pilate saying that I came to testify to this world concerning truth. And he said, truth, everyone on the side of truth is going to listen to me. And so Pilate hears him say this and he responds with what I would describe as a rhetorical shrug. He said, what is truth? I mean, it really, what, what is truth, Jesus? Because Outside, there is a mob that is shouting, crucify, and they think the truth is that you're guilty and that you deserve death. And yet there's others, and you say that you're a king, and still others say that you're a messiah, and there's others who say that you're a scoundrel, that you're a criminal. What is truth? Truth smooth. So Pilate had this cynicism regarding truth, and in his cynicism, he was way ahead of his time because that same aversion to truth runs rampant today. 
There is no such thing as truth, we hear frequently. Truth's simply a matter of perspective. It, it depends on where you're sitting. Truth is relative. This is the spiritual uh, uh, feeling of the day. There's this cultural rejection of truth today, which in reality is really a rejection of God himself. God doesn't shy away from this word truth. In fact, Jesus is described as the truth. I am the way, the, the truth, and the life. Jesus' words are described as trustworthy and true. John describes Jesus in, in John chapter 1 as the, the true light that gives light to this world. His word, the Bible, is described as faithful and true. And so to claim that there really is no such thing as truth is essentially to call Jesus a liar. One of the reasons that I believe there is such an aversion to truth today, especially truth that comes from the church, is because sometimes truth is used as a weapon. Truth is used as a weapon when it's unaccompanied by its cousin, grace. When we look in the scripture, one of the things that we see is that truth is very frequently accompanied by this other attribute, grace. Jesus came from the Father full of grace and full of truth. And so truth exists best when it is accompanied by its sister, by its cousin, grace. And grace exists best when it's accompanied by truth. So Pilate had this worldview. He painted this picture where truth is really up for debate. You know, let the lawyers hash it out, and whoever presents the most compelling argument will go ahead and will call that truth, although we all really know truth doesn't exist. And yet our founding fathers painted a different picture based on a different worldview. Truth is not up for debate. Truth is grounded in God and in his word. In fact, what they went on to describe, they called self-evident. This is so plain that any reasonable person would have to acknowledge this to be true. So what truths were they talking about? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, and by men, we're talking about mankind, are created, are created. So the first truth they're talking about is that we are created. Back in 1776, that probably wasn't a very radical claim. But today, that, that is a fairly radical claim. The founding fathers presented a worldview that was grounded in the narrative of Genesis. In the beginning, God created. He created the heavens and the earth. And he went on, he said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image. In his image, he created them male and female. He created them. And so if we're going to rely on the truth of God's word, what we have to acknowledge is that we are not evolutionary accidents. 
We are not evolutionary accidents. We are not just randomly ricocheting through this world. We exist. Every single person here exists because God chose you to exist. God desires you to exist. God created you into existence. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, we read this from one man. God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. So not only do you exist by his purpose, but the fact that you exist during this, this era of history in this particular nation and in this particular community, this is all God's doing. We are, as the catechism says, not our own but we belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Truth number one, we are all created. Truth number two, we're all created equal. Every human being is an image bearer of God. You are an image bearer of God, and the person next to you, to your left, to your right, they're different from you. They maybe have some different ideas from you, think differently on some issues, but they are a fellow image bearer of God. Our dignity is not derived by anything that we do. It's not derived by what we produce. Our dignity is inherent. It's intrinsic in our creation. Created in the image of God, we have value, we have worth, we have dignity. And so it follows that if every one of us is created by God, and if every one of us is created in the image of God, then one image is not superior to another image. And another image is not inferior to another image. We are all equal to one another. Nobody of more worth, of more value than anyone else, nobody of less worth, less value than any else. This is an incredible, lofty ideal. In fact, it is so lofty that inevitably it confronts us with our sin. It confronts us with our, our prejudices, which are sometimes quiet. It confronts us with our hypocrisy. It's estimated that 41 of those 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were slave owners. So just think about that for a second. Here in Philadelphia, they're signing their name to this glorious document, declaring the inherent dignity of man, of every human being. And then they're returning to their plantation, where 41 out of 56, roughly, give or take, have slaves, where they are treating people not as equals. They've actually gotten their wires crossed on the Genesis story. Remember the Genesis story? It says, you shall rule over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the beasts of the field. Well, in their minds, the slaves fell into that category. And we are going to rule over you. We are going to use you. We're going to, in many cases, abuse you for our purposes. There was hypocrisy there. 
It wasn't until a civil war was fought. An Emancipation Proclamation was made in 1863 by Abraham Lincoln, almost 100 years after the signing of that Declaration of Independence. And then a couple years, even after the Emancipation Proclamation was made, two years later, Union soldiers arrived in Galveston, Texas, because there were still slaves there under Confederate power. In fact, just this year, our country has said, we're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate that as a national holiday, because for them, that was their Independence Day. Prejudice and racism is sneaky. I don't know of any racist that exists that open, openly acknowledges I'm a racist. Nobody thinks that they're guilty of that. And yet I believe that we all have prejudice and we have that tendency in us to see people not as equal, but as less than or maybe as more than. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. The word unalienable simply means it can't be taken away arbitrarily. These are rights that, that cannot be uh, withdrawn. What are the rights? The right to life. Every single human being has the right to life. So on just a surface level, when we look at the scripture, we can look at the sixth commandment, which is pretty straightforward. You shall not murder. You shall not murder. The commandment is grounded in this unalienable right that doesn't come to us from our founding fathers. It doesn't come from a document. It comes to us from God. You shall not murder. God is the one who gives the breath of life. God is the author of our days. He brings a, a person into being. And from the moment of conception to the moment of death, he is the author of life. And that life is not to be taken by anybody else. Now, this, the water gets muddy really quickly. There's all kinds of situations that, that we can apply to this, and, and it becomes complex. Does somebody forfeit their right to life based on their actions? Is there a time for capital punishment? And what about war? I mean, the, the holiday that we're celebrating today was accomplished through the taking of life. The Emancipation Proclamation was accomplished through the taking of life. It, it gets pretty complex and it gets challenging and, and there's even tensions that exist in the scripture on these questions. I'm not going to answer those, but what I am going to say is very clear is that life is sacred. Life is sacred and is not to be taken at, at whim. The Bible is layered with meaning, so we can talk about life on the surfacey level, that we all have the right to, to go on breathing and our heart to continue beating. But there's another layer of life that the scripture talks about. Your heart can be ju beating just fine, your lungs expanding and contracting, breathing just fine, and yet, according to the scripture, you're living in the way of death. God's word says to us, I set before you life, and I set before you death, and I ask you to make a choice. 
I set before you blessing. I set you before you cursing. Choose life so that you may live, so that you may, may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Jesus, in fact, said, I've come so that you might have abundant life, that you might have life to the fullest. In declaring the, the right to life, what the founding fathers were also saying is that every single person has the right to pursue God, has the right to love God, has the right to listen to his voice, has the right to hold fast to him. Because with the Lord, we have life. But apart from the Lord, the scripture says you have death. Even though you might be breathing and your heart beating just fine, you already have death. We're endowed by our creator with the right to life. We are endowed by our creator with the right of liberty. Liberty, at least from a biblical perspective, does not mean that we are all free to do whatever we want to do. How often when I was a teacher did I, I hear a, a student say, I know my rights. I know what I can do. You can't make me. Liberty does not mean that we're free to do whatever we want to do. What liberty means is that we are actually free to do what is right. We are free to do what is right. You are not free to do what is wrong. Do what is wrong and you will find that your liberty gets taken away from you. Jesus said one of the reasons he came was to set captives free. I've come to set captives free. Apart from Christ, the scripture says we are all captives. And we're captives of our own devices. We're captives of our sin. We're captives of our rebellion. Any liberty that exists apart from Christ is a lot like the liberty that prisoners up in Thompson have. For 23 hours a day, they live in a cell that is probably 8 by 12. And they might say, I've got freedom within the confines of the cell. Yes, 23 hours a day, do what you want inside your cell. But is that freedom? No, they're, they're captives. And so we might think that I have freedom apart from Christ, but the, the scripture says that we're all prisoners. And so any liberty that we experience apart from Christ is really in the confines of a, a prison cell. And so what God did through Jesus, he sent his son to open the doors of those prison cells, to set us free, to, to give us a way to get out of that prison. And that was accomplished by the giving of his son on our behalf. And now we have liberty truly because of what he has done. Finally, our, our founding father said that we have the right to pursue happiness. Uh, oftentimes, we will make a distinction between the word happy and the word joy, and it usually goes like this. You know, happy is fleeting. It's something that's based on circumstances. You have it, you don't have it. Whereas joy is something that is enduring. It's not based on circumstances. There's a time and a place for, for making that. But the scripture also uses those words kind of interchangeably. In fact, Jesus, in, in his Sermon on the Mount, our translation usually says blessed. You know, blessed is the, the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed is the, are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the merciful. An equally uh, justified translation is the word happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are the merciful. Happy are the, the pure in heart. Happy are those who are persecuted on account of Jesus Christ and his word. So what the, the founding fathers again are saying is that we have the right to pursue happiness, and that is only found truly by pursuing God. I mean, this is an incredible sentence that is really saying we all have the right to pursue God. In this incredible country that we live in, we all have been promised the right, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, and that is found only when we pursue God. 